Hi everyone, it's Editing George here. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to say that for reasons that I've not been able to work out, something went a bit weird with my recording on this podcast, so it sounds a bit like I'm speaking to you from the bathroom with a pair of socks stuffed in my mouth. One of my friends who knows about this sort of thing has done their best to clean the recording up a bit, but it's still not perfect, so I just wanted to apologize for that in advance and i've left a few little editing treats in this episode just to prove that i do kind of know what i'm doing sort of anyway let's get on with it bye Hello and welcome to the Guns on Pegs podcast. My name is George Brown and I'm the editor at Guns on Pegs. I'm joined as usual by Chris Horn, Managing Director of Guns on Pegs. Chris, by the time this goes out, uh, the season will be a dimly fading memory. How are you feeling about the season we've just had now that you've had a bit of time to reflect on it? Well, we've had a few days to reflect on it and it's already a dimly fading memory. (laughs) Getting itchy feet. Don't you find that you just need a few things in the diary, like not too far ahead to look forward to? Uh, That's what keeps you on your toes. But in terms of this season, um, God, it was a weird one for me. I mean, God, thinking right back. So I had a really, really good start. September, October, quite busy. Baby, two months out. Yeah. Really busy January. So, I mean, as seasons go, to be honest, it's got to be the best for that reason alone. But uh, it, it it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm quite looking forward to a comparatively quiet February. I, you know, I, I'm quite enjoying not having too much on and not being charging off around the country. Not that it wasn't great, but um, yeah, I'm sure that by the time March rolls around, I'll be itching to get out and do something. And there's still lots of pigeons about, so they need they need sorting out. I just got invited for a shooting tomorrow night, and I had to turn it down because. Of- prior commitment which is really quite frustrating but then he was like don't worry you can come next Saturday I was like oh amazing (laughs) Um, but I don't I reckon that our guest is going to enjoy a quiet February more than you are or need it more than you are at least (laughs) (laughs) probably Um, why don't you tell us who's with us today then so indeed yeah so our our guest is a sort of all-rounder in the shooting world he's a he's a game farmer shoot manager uh, and he's got a shoot supplies business as well so he's from Gloucestershire uh, he's a real character um his business actually the shoot supplies business is called um Bruin Game Supplies uh, he runs two estates at the moment Hitchens Farm and Withington Estate uh, and you might have also seen him on a really emotional BBC3 documentary uh, me by my brother and our bulls uh, which we're going to talk about in a bit, um, and and given especially that our listener base is is fairly male dominant, uh, but a massive warm welcome to Ben Hughes. Good afternoon, gentlemen. <laughs> oh, it's good to have you with us. <laughs> For the listeners, we did go down to see Ben. He very kindly invited us to go and shoot with him. So we uh, got down there, uh, had a nice supper got all set up to record and the equipment failed. So we ended up just having a very nice evening before a day's shooting. It was great. A nice boozy evening. I enjoyed it. Was it. Very it was brilliant. Boozy. <laughs> <laughs> we we turned up at we turned up at yours, Ben, with some with some steaks, chips, some sauces, a few variations of drink, and then just chucked it all to you and said, Cook that, will you? 
Yeah, bearing in mind, gentlemen, that uh, the kitchen is not my forte, and um, and I'm not actually allowed in there very often. So actually, being allowed to cook was quite a pleasure. Uh, and uh, yeah, what more? What more could I have asked for? Um, some great steaks, some great company uh, before a really nice shoot day. You did a sterling job in the kitchen as well. You reckon? I think actually, I did. I think I nailed the steaks. To be fair. You know, <laughs> uh, that, that was that was pretty good. Well, you've you've also set the bar very high in terms of uh, in terms of uh, guest uh, invitations. Um, you know, inviting us on a shoot day. I'm tempted to say we shouldn't have anyone on who doesn't invite us shooting. Well, do you want to do you want to let them know, <laughs> let the listeners know, George, about Toby's little email to you and I uh, after oh, the last well, episode? I don't want to put him on the spot because I don't. But but. <laughs> Since he's made the offer, he's uh, he's suggested we might like to go and join him fishing in Iceland at some point. And I mean, I swim there yeah, if I, I had to. Yeah, jet ski. I'm <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to my invite, which I'm definitely taking George upon uh, for chasing the pheasant uh, after you missed all of them off my quarry clear. <laughs> well, they're a long way up. <laughs> <laughs> no, you must definitely come here and chase our pheasant next year. If he's still there, <laughs> uh, we'll find another one from somewhere. Good, good, good. Right, Ben, what's that you're drinking? Um, oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to show you because we are we are live on Zoom as well. So I've actually got today the first time round. Let me just say I was drinking uh, something called badger cider which was made very locally a stone's throw from my farm here in the Cotswolds it was uh, made at Hales Fruit Farm from by a good friend of mine Joe Harrell so I was drinking that um, but today I'm on an O'Donnell Wildberry Moonshine which I'm pretty sure you are meant to mix with something because it's 25% <laughs> volume 50% proof comes in a 700 millimeter jar just like the uh, the Americans used to obviously do their own, sell it in their little jars. And um, it's really tasty on its own. So is it grain alcohol, like proper moonshine, but then, you know, sort of slow ginified or is um, it? Moonshine liqueur made from a blend of raspberries, grapes and summer fruits. Uh, moonshine was illegally alcohol produced during the American. Yeah, I mean. Does it yeah. taste good? Oh, it's mega. I got so, so, so drunk um, at the game fair on it because that's where I found it at the game fair. Ended really? up in your tent out dancing everyone. So, I mean, yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's great. Actually, Paul Childley uh, was my dance partner for the night. Um, hero, hero on the dance floor. <laughs> I wish I remember more about that party. Oh, I, I mean, I, I know I, I left there with one trouser leg intact and the other one was yeah torn to shreds but hey when you're busting <laughs> out moves like i do obviously my legs just wanted to get out of those trousers so uh we were we were busting <laughs> busting moves in all kinds of ways oh dear well look, we're going to be doing we're going to be doing that party again this summer i think are we we're fantastic. certainly angling for it at the moment fantastic <laughs> news yeah i've got to have a conversation with the game fair about where and how and we'll come back to it <laughs> um george what are you drinking so um i've got to go and pick the kids up after this so i can't uh, i've got to drive so i can't have my usual three glasses of whiskey 
uh, and be safe. So I've just got a small bottle of a, a locally brewed ale. It's from Red Cat Brewery, uh, who are maybe three miles from where I'm sitting right now. Uh, it's a golden ale, and it's really, really nice. It's, uh, really nice, and I'm just going to take it slowly with this one today. So proper dedication to the pod would have been for you to just have your usual whiskey and then have a taxi waiting to take you <laughs> to pick the kids up and bring you back. <laughs> put the put the car seats in it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Chris, what have you got? So I just got something I found uh, in this local shop that sells all sorts of drinks. Uh, and I think it's fairly mainstream stuff because it's by Thatcher's and it was a cider. And I thought, I looked at it, it was quite sunny today. And I was thinking, oh, you know, it feels like it's been it's been weirdly warm recently. I thought, I, maybe I'll do a cider. Anyway, it's called Green Goblin. It's actually quite nice. Medium dry cider. Just fancied a cider. I haven't had one in a long time. So yeah, there you go. Nice. Friday afternoon drink, I thought thought it would go well good work it snowed here this morning so <laughs> yeah i yeah, so, mean kent it's like the yeah, gobi desert down here <laughs> absolutely yeah up on the top well considering we are literally a stone's throw as well from one of the highest points in the cotswolds yeah it snowed it snowed <laughs> wow it's quite nice very good so george your favorite part of the pod what have you got yeah, so uh, this is Ben, Whose Bird Is It Anyway? Uh, it's the section of the podcast where we ask our listeners to write in with their shooting quandaries and queries and dilemmas and that kind of stuff. Uh, and we do our best to offer them some sort of advice, uh, whether that advice turns out to be useful or not remains to be seen. Um, this one comes from somebody I'm going to call Spike. And Spike writes, I'm writing this on a very exciting day as I've just moved back from home to England after eight years of living in America. I've enjoyed listening to every one of your podcasts from my workshop up in the Blue Ridge Mountains just outside the Washington, D.C. area. Your podcast has had a massive impact on me. It made me feel so homesick for the English countryside that I changed all my plans this year and decided to move my whole family home back home to Cambridge. No way. <laughs> I know. Isn't that amazing? Ridiculous. I feel slightly... I mean, I'd have stayed where I was. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, he goes on, uh, wanting to be home with my mates back out in the fields and woods with a good gun and even better banter was a big factor in me wanting to come home. And it was driven by listening to you guys. So thank you. Now, I have a quite literal whose bird is it anyway. When I was a young lad and just getting into shooting, I was at a rather splendid shoot near Cambridge doing some beating. I was really trying to learn all the ins and outs as I was the first in my family to discover field sports. At the end of the day, I'd help sort out all the birds. On this particular day, there was a rather magnificent brace of pheasants shot, a brace of reeves. While I was sorting through the regular birds, one of the guns came over, picked up the special brace, and asked if I could give them to the gun who shot them. Knowing no better, I said absolutely, and walked the birds over to one of the other guns, who laughed heartily when I tried to give them to him. He claimed they were not his and sent me to another gun who also found the notion of receiving these special birds very funny and sent me to yet another gun. Eventually, someone did take them and I went off and found the keepers and asked what was so funny about it all and find out whose birds they were anyway. Well, the keeper didn't find it funny at all and I got a bit of a tongue lashing and was told that only the keeper gives birds to the guns and what I'd done was totally out of order. I was 17 year old me was heartbroken over making such a big mistake. I found out the next week that there was a rather hefty fine connected to those birds. The guns were playing tricks on each other 
over who'd shot them and who would then pay the fine. The keeper was mad about it for weeks and I tried to avoid the guns for a little while after that. So the advice I'm hoping you gents can give is some best practices for beaters new to the game so they don't get in trouble with the guns or the keepers like I did. Also, was I wrong to have listened to the guns in the first place? What should I have done differently? <laughs> it doesn't sound like you could have won, does it? Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's a proper whose bird is it anyway? Whose bird is this that I'm holding? The first one we've had. Um, so, uh, Ben, this is, you know, you're, oh, you're, yeah, you're going to runs... throw this on to me, aren't you? <laughs> you're yeah. the one that runs some shoots around here. You must be giving advice <laughs> to beaters all day long. Um, uh, I don't. Sure. I don't feel like I've ever seen that happen. I've seen. I've seen a lot of things. I've seen white birds hidden in jackets. I've seen white <laughs> birds planted behind friends. Uh, I've. I've never seen a beater asked to go and present it uh, unless it was asked by by one of the other guns or or the keeper themselves. And I can't say that our keepers would sort of get so hepped up on it as what um, this particular keeper would have done. And our guns are normally pretty good at owning up to shooting them. And with me stood maybe 50 to 100 yards behind them, I've normally got a bloody good inkling on who's actually shot the shot the reeves or shot the white pheasant. And uh, our charitable uh, donations, they're all being given to Oddballs, which is a testicular cancer charity, if uh, if you don't know, um, which actually helped me during testicular cancer. So um, so that's where our, our donations go. And because it is such a good uh, charity, most of our guns are pretty good with uh, with giving up. The yeah, we, I, did, yeah, I definitely want to come back to that with the number of white birds on your that, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Um, but yeah, going back to the question in hand, that is a tricky one. I mean, for a, for a gun, for a gun to to go up to a beater, uh, I mean, the gun didn't know that the beater was going to get in trouble when doing this, but he's he's really sort of leaning on this beater to try and make his trick play out, isn't it? So I feel a bit so, I feel a bit sorry for him. I've not come across that 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 rule that only the keeper gives birds to guns. I, no, I've never heard that either. It must have been a terribly grand place, and it must have been a while ago. That's well, my... well, that that or they think it's a tradition. They sort of made it into tradition in their own mind. I mean, it happens yeah, by be... default, doesn't it? Because when you tip the keeper at the end of the day, he asks if you want to brace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, so maybe the keeper was cross because he thought this young guy was angling for a tip. No, surely not. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I keeper think... sounds a bit heavy-handed. But but what you do? Okay, so so I think he's he's asking for more generic advice. Going back to when he was younger. You're a beater for the first time. What do you do? Stay away from the birds. Stay away <laughs> from the birds. <laughs> um, I honestly, I I wouldn't know. I'm trying to sort of think back to when I was younger. Uh, I used to drive the game cart on the the next door neighbouring shoot to our 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 shoot here. Um, and and you know you just potter along, and at the end of the day, I used to ask guns if they would like a brace of birds before i went back to the chiller so am um, was i doing the wrong thing all those years uh asking guns before before i take these back to the chiller sir would you like a, a brace of birds and yeah. um no thank you young man was normally the common thing or and and then one one gun would yes i'll have a few brace please and, and they they take they take what they would off the off the game cart and then off i'd trundle back to the 
back to the chiller to um to hang all the rest. Uh, I never got in trouble. So uh, I think what about if you're going beating though for the first time? I do think there's some sort of cardinal rules though, aren't there? I mean, absolutely. Listen to the keeper, right? You can yeah. if the keeper says something, you know how jump how high that type of thing. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, just listen and do what you're told, and if you don't understand. And and be really good at understanding what a straight line looks like. <laughs> we we had a B to come two years ago for the first time, and he he when uh, our head keeper told the line to stop, he stopped but didn't start again, and we didn't see him till the pub afterwards, <laughs> and we lost him on the second drive. <laughs> he he must have thought something was going on after about an hour of stood there, like he's standing standing there for for an hour. <laughs> well i think i'm trying to think back here so i think what i used to do was i'd go and stand near one of the older members of the beating line who'd been doing it for ages and make sure that i was the sort of next one along walking through the wood to him and then you kind of just copy his every move and you can't really go wrong i think that's i'm fairly certain that's what i did because yeah he, he was particularly helpful actually which was quite nice and you've got to find the helpful one amongst them i think it's also you know it's like the rest of shooting everybody's friendly and helpful and keen to see new people getting involved so if you turn up in the morning and go this is really exciting it's my first time out beating someone will take you under their wing and they'll say you stick with me lad you'll be all right i'll make sure everything goes okay um i think that's probably the best bit of advice isn't it yeah but also i suppose probably stay out the way of the keeper unless sort of unless he's really wanting you for something because some of them can get really stressed on a shoot day, especially when it's not going right. And if you're a young beater asking too many questions, <laughs> you, you you get the brunt of the, uh, yeah, the exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I think do what I remember doing, which is go and find an older beater who's been there and done that. Stay clear of the keeper. Don't offer gun, uh, guns, birds out of turn. Basically just don't speak out of turn at all. <laughs> We sound we're making it sound quite making it sound quite scary. It's not at yeah, all. Yeah, I don't think it's scary at all. I think, yeah, just you know, ask questions when it seems to be an appropriate moment to ask questions. If you can see someone's gone purple in the face, don't ask them a question at that moment. And, you know, there's always gonna be someone around who's willing to help you to learn and be pleased to help you to learn, I think. Yeah. And don't walk up to the gun at the end of the drive and ask why you missed that whatever bird you saw. <laughs> I did that a few times to you guys. Apologies. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I'm expecting <laughs> it. <laughs> um, a very a more good. appropriate question for me this season would have been, how come you hit that one? Because it's <laughs> been such a rare occurrence. We, we had a message after the podcast shooting day saying that this was a media front, that George was a shit shot. <laughs> so Ben can confirm that I'm dreadful. I, I wouldn't say dreadful at all. <laughs> You shot really well on the second drive at Ben. We'll yeah, no, I had, I had I had a very nice time. You, we'll did, come back you to did well. You did well. Right, Chris, you got an unpopular opinion for us? We do. Uh, <clears throat> this one comes from someone that George has named Alfie. Uh, and he writes, uh, Shooting seasons for reared birds are stupid. The seasons were designed to protect wild brood, which is surely a moot point on an estate where 99% of the birds are reared and released. We should do away with the seasons for pheasants and red legs everywhere, except those where a preponderance of wild birds can be demonstrated. Oh, dear. 
I swear you've just picked the hardest possible things for me to get involved in today. I mean, that, that's a tough one, Ben. <laughs> that's yeah. Do you want to bring out your scientific knowledge? Would you, now? Would you? Let me put it like this: Would you be happy if the season was still running right now? God, I'm going to add to the unpopular opinion. I think, um, personally, with the milder uh, sort of uh, weather in which we're having at this moment in time if you had the weather we had this morning would have been more like the weather you would expect in sort of november december time yeah so i would say yes it wouldn't hurt for the seasons to be pushed back a month because we seem to have harsher weather in february and march than we do in november december now however i think i'm just fueling the fire here a little bit more for everyone who's (laughs) going to be shouting it down at the radios or at their computer screens listening to this saying what does this kid know he knows <laughs> nothing uh but i have never ever seen a partridge pair up um in february and it's you know it, it's not the weather but then you you see the cockbirds um like i'm looking out my living room window now and there's two cockbirds which are showing their colors to each other and you think okay well that's probably just from having such a mild um, winter, that they're they're getting all the wrong signals anyway. Um, and to be fair, my goldens, my my uh, ornamental pheasants, which are in the barn, have started laying eggs already now because it's obviously warm enough in there. And um, and obviously, we have left uh, the lights on by accident a few nights on the trot and so they think the days have drawn out so they they've started laying a little bit but um <laughs> you know it's it's just it's just odd the um the weather that we're we're having at the moment but i do um do think that the seasons yeah they could they could be altered but i might be speaking out of turn there. well you're not you're not the only one that's uh, do you remember during lockdown when we sort of lost months at a time there yeah. were so many questions about extending the season for a bunch of reasons. I think the, the the predominant call was basically because of the number of birds that would be left on the ground and the impact that would have having not shot them. Uh, so that we were fielding tons of questions about why can't we shoot in February this year or should we be asking Parliament for that? Before I get on to that, George, what do you reckon? I think that our correspondent has probably missed the point slightly, which is, yes, the seasons are there to protect wild game bird broods and look after wild game birds, but it's also about the disturbance in general for all of those nesting birds, right? There's more to it than just the game bird side of it. I think that, you know, all those birds that are going to start nesting over the next few months, I think they need as little disturbance as possible. And if you've got beaters and dogs crashing through a wood, it's probably not terribly good for them either. No, you're absolutely right. You know, this is not just about game birds. See, I mean, yes, the, the, the immediate thought seasons are there for game birds uh, uh, because they pair up, but but there's a lot of other things happening at the same time. I think um, the biggest issue here is that this is this point is actually not worth discussing. And that was my response to everyone during 2021 January, whenever it was, or the 2020 season. Um, so... The, the Game Act is primary legislation, which basically means if you want to have it adjusted, uh, it has to be passed by Parliament, which means that we would have to have Parliament voting on 
whether we should extend the red leg partridge season, the pheasant season. I couldn't think of anything worse for them to be discussing right now because it's going to bring into question a whole load of other things. Right Before we talk about extending the season, can we talk about what you're doing in the first place would be basically where that would end up, wouldn't it? Uh, so I think for anyone thinking about calling for adjustments in seasons, they've been around since, uh, go on, someone give me the year, 18... Oh, 18 something. 68, is it? Game Act. I'm, go- I'm Googling it. <laughs> 1831. There you go. Right. So they've been around a long time and they haven't changed yet. Obviously, the climate is adjusting, but we don't really want to be talking about this. So we probably should leave it there. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's unlikely to get parliamentary time, I think. Well, it's not going to at all, is it? It's going to be laughed out or or taken on in a different way. So, um, yeah, it's an unpopular opinion. There are quite a lot of people with that opinion, though, but I'm glad we've addressed it because the point is, I don't think people who, a lot of people who had that opinion during the lockdown year realised that it just wasn't worth going after. Yeah. Um, anyway, thanks, Alfie. Yeah, it's a good good one. I like it. Um, okay, so Chris, finally, we've got Shooting Heroes. It's our new feature. Um, so uh, like we said before, we've had huge numbers of these in. Uh, so we've got plenty of them to get through. Um but uh, Chris, will you read this one's this uh, episode's uh, shooting hero nomination out, please? Absolutely. So this one comes from Jamie of the Coombe Farm Shoot, uh, who writes, I heard about your shooting unsung heroes, and we definitely have someone worthy of the prize. We're a small DIY shoot where we take a bag of 15 to 25 birds, and all the work is split evenly between the various syndicate members. That is to say, split evenly between everyone, as long as Tom is included. Tom is the unlucky sod who lives closest to the chute and has a wonderful Land Rover Defender pickup, which, for one reason or another, has become the primary work party vehicle, feeding vehicle, gun bus, beater's wagon, and general party bus. (laughs) (laughs) So when Tom joined our chute, there were a number of other vehicles suitable for carrying people and heading out into the fields without being rescued by a tow rope. As the syndicate members have changed and the world has moved on in terms of the cost of running these vehicles, more people have been led to family cars with the notorious seven-year warranties. Tom's is now the primary shoot vehicle with occasional support from guests. Anyone who has owned a Defender will know it's not just the extortionate annual tax on the vehicle, nor the scary rises in fuel that is the main cost that keeps it on the road. Instead, Instead, it seems to be the cost of constant maintenance and replacement parts required that helps define the character and charm of these iconic vehicles. Although they're an absolute workhorse in the field, it takes a lot to keep them going. And I think this would be a great nod to Tom and his Land Rover to let him know how much the rest of the shoot appreciates his support as one of the linchpins keeping our syndicate going. That's why we put this feature in, isn't it, George? That's awesome. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect. Yeah, really nice. Absolutely. Tom can have a pair of garters. He deserves them, clearly. Well done, Tom. Yeah. Class yeah. act. And if he's, got, if he's sensible, he'll get rid of that defender as quickly as possible. <laughs> get a polo or something, so somebody else has to do all the work. Sounds like he sort of needs a long pair of steel garters just to tie them around other cars and drag them out the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> ben, you, I was just going to say, is there anyone on your shoot you want to give a shout out now? You've got an opportunity. Anyone who deserves a bit of praise for being kind of a bit like Tom? Do you know, um, I have a beater, actually, uh, who started beating for me when I was sort of 19, 20. Um, so shout out to Bob, because Bob Bob has now been beating for me. We worked it out um, something like, well, 
if you include include little days, he he would have done way over a thousand days almost um, wow. in in about fifteen years for me. So um, he's absolutely nailed it. Um, Amazing. So big big shout out to Bob. Um, and and then my old man, I suppose my old man's a bit of my rock. He's been my rock through COVID, telling me to keep going with what I'm doing. You know, we've got we got full five full-time employees you know um relying on on the shoots so um it, it's quite something and and dad bless him had a bloody knee replacement halfway through uh october and uh and was back out get, doing a doing an end of line job up hedgerows and on stop uh only five weeks after his knee op so yeah big shout out to the old man as well oh, yeah genuinely heroic yeah, I like I like the idea of a thousand day club. That, that's, that's quite, quite cool. Something. Yeah, that's yeah. quite a cool thing. Um, good. Right. So Spike and Alfie and Jamie and Tom and now you, Ben, are members of the most noble order of the Garters and will shortly be in receipt of the set of a set of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock Garters. If you have got a shooting confession, quandary, or query that you'd like us and our guests to help you with, or if you've got an unpopular opinion or a shooting hero who you'd like to share with us, drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com. Right, Ben, Keith, we need to talk about the shoot. Um, I mean, obviously, we've mentioned already that you're uh, a top guest. You're in the top three, uh, that's for sure, uh, for inviting us shooting, both of us as well. Uh, so we must thank you very much for that. But, but before we talk about it, tell us a little bit about the shoots that you run and what you've got going on there? Uh, so we've got two shoots here in the Cotswolds. We're actually looking to take on another one potentially this year, uh, which is quite exciting. And uh, and basically, yeah, we we do we do a mixture really of of mixed days and pheasant days on Withington Estate mainly. Uh, they're mixed days back here at home. And as you guys know, we give a good family feel to our days, as opposed to sort of you know you're not on a conveyor belt so to speak which some some teams might feel like they are when they they go on to a shoot which does more than sort of 10 15 days a year we still hold that family feel and uh, and that's a massive thing for us uh so mum mum bless her yeah she she should be one of my unsung heroes as well i suppose because bless her she did <laughs> she did 81 shoot days worth of food this year um wow. and, and she she hit the ripe old age of 70 as well this time so uh, she's doing really well, bless her. Um, and yeah, so we 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 just keep pushing on each year. We're actually going to downsize the number of days on both estates this year. Uh, it got got quite grueling towards the end of the season uh, because we had quite a lot of days which we had to carry through from COVID, and yeah. so so that meant uh, a lot of pressure on the ground, a lot of pressure on the boys, and and a lot of pressure on myself and and the family as a whole. Uh, so we are we are going to downsize the amount of days, but just upscale a little bit on on the amount of birds shot per day, which isn't by a lot. Um, sort of twenty five head or between twenty five and fifty head each day, uh, but it just means getting rid of sort of the hundred and fifty bird days. Unfortunately, with all the price increases this time, they're almost not becoming viable again. Um, and and I saw that sort of going back five years ago when we used to do hundred bird days, they became unviable and nobody really wants to pay five pound extra per bird on 150 bird day mm. um to, to to make it um sort of viable for the estate to do it so 
unfortunately we we are sort of going through our customers from last year and just at the moment sort of getting them on board with next season and, and seeing if they would like to carry on and go slightly bigger on their days. It's going to be tough, isn't it? You've touched on a really interesting point there, though, um, which is um, I think probably there's a lot of people out there who don't really know about what it is that, how it is that you arrive at the cost per bird. Um, now, you you run the whole operation with the game farm right the way through to the uh, to the end product. Yep, correct. Um, so what are the things that are driving this increase in costs uh, um, so, over the coming 12 months? Okay, so for example, a 47 kg bottle of gas last year was uh, £48. This year, we're looking at £56, £57. So close to sort of, you know, an £8 increase there. And uh, an eight pound increase on a bottle of gas means it's almost, I think I worked it out the other day, about 7.5% increase in gas. We're looking at food prices going up as well um, by similar. And when you look at everything going up by a very, very similar margin of 7.5%, well, that 7.5% has to go on top of your shot game price. Uh, so so we've actually had, an, we're, we're increasing by five, between 5 and 7.5% on most of our game days this year. And also chick prices have gone up this time. Um, it, it's, it's a really tricky subject. And uh, every time I speak to one of my sort of customers who have been with us for such a long time, to try and explain to them, I'm really sorry. I know we had a little bit of a price increase last year this year we're we're also having a price increase and a minimum bag increase as well and um and they they almost feel like it's a double whammy this time but mm. in actual fact it's it, it's very difficult we've we've still got our overheads to pay and nothing's ever getting any cheaper yeah yeah it i mean 47 percent of shoots make a loss that's the last stat last time we surveyed it do you know i think my I think my shoots just about break even, and you you you're probably thinking now why the bloody hell are you doing them if they're breaking even? But as my business runs with the game supplies, the rearing and the shooting, they all run as a train track effect, and yeah. you know somewhere in there um, there will be a slight bit of profit, whether that be on the game supplies or the or the rearing side of things but i enjoy the shooting side of things just so not so much that that's why i kind of uh i kind of like enjoy doing it i mean look we had an awesome we had an yeah. awesome day with you and you're in such a beautiful part of the world for it i mean the, you've got amazing scenery around you and lovely views and then a good selection of drives on on the shoot you know you can you can sort of please anyone really can't you that's what we aim to do uh so I I don't like calling it an industry. Um, I think we're in the hospitality business, uh, is yeah. how I like to put it, uh, purely because we are putting on an event for a day for a team of guests who would like to come and enjoy their day. And so we are in the hospitality business, and so we give the hospitality feel where they have everything laid on for them but we can t- cater for all teams. That, that presumably means offer, offering really awesome little 11s is like the pheasant goujons that your mum offers with the KFC batter. 
<laughs> yeah, we can we can obviously offer everything from from however anyone wants to spec out their day if they want uh a day which they primarily shoot pheasants or primarily shoot partridge, we can do that. If they want a mixed bag, we can also do that. But also we, we have everything where I can also take them to drives where they see lots of birds and they can have lots of shots and, and, and it really go for it. And then the slightly smaller drives where they pick through what they want to shoot and and also there's something in there for everyone. So as the drives roll on you know the more experienced shot can really start picking some nice high ones and and the not so competent people can start start really finding their way through um getting a few on the floor including some white ones <laughs> yeah there there was one or two white ones when you guys were about i was desperate to get one so let let me let me put the story here so we mentioned it at the start um there was this uh this this document bbc3 documentary um, called me, my brother, and our bulls. And if you if you haven't watched it, well, you'll want to go watch it after this because it's a fascinating story and it's a really important one as well. So there's a lot of white pheasants on the ground because Ben mentioned he went through uh, testicular cancer only two, th- three years ago now, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, 2019 is when I had when I was diagnosed uh, and had the removal. So off the back of that, one of the ways of of generating some cash for odd bulls uh, is to put down some white pheasants and you put down quite a few of them <laughs> but it's a sort of voluntary fine isn't it and it and it really adds to the day it makes everyone sort of feel quite good about it you actually i i felt myself i was stretching my barrels thinking i want one of those i want to contribute to the charity and it just and makes actually, it I, I was standing with chris and um, he's not lying he was i want a white pheasant he was like where's the white one come on where's the white one <laughs> <laughs> well can so, i get that one? Oh, i'd probably better not it's over my neighbor that's exactly <laughs> it which um a lot of shoots who put a few white ones down they always have their ways of um of sort of ordering a fine or what have you but do you know what i just asked for a donation and they don't cost any more to rear uh than what a normal pheasant does and we sort of have an overwinter flock here so i can i can rear as many as i want or as as little as i want uh so as it is a charity that is so close to my heart, which helped me uh, when I had to see cancer, I do make sure we put a nice number of white ones out, which I think between us and the listeners, there was probably about 250 or 300 white ones released this time. <laughs> and uh, and actually, they they are the ones which you see the most in January, uh, when, like when you guys came sort of 10 coming out the end of each drive because everyone's picked the stuff around them a little bit um <laughs> cheeky that's not the spirit of it no it? <laughs> it's not but olivia bless her she had a couple on beta's day and she olivia being my other half she's donated and so it's all good and we've we've done really really well for oddballs i'm not entirely sure exactly how much we're on um but it is it's a it's a good few thousand pounds and bearing in mind that we just asked for donations we've had some really generous ones it's a nice way of doing it though rather than sort of imposing a hundred pound fine on someone that really doesn't you know they might be a a young guest of someone or something and you know a hundred quid suddenly is a lot more than it is to the next person exactly Um, but but you've alluded to this story ben um you know I, i alluded to it at the start that we've obviously got a very male dominant uh listener base um what you and your brother have been through 
is is an important message to everyone else. And c- can you recap a bit of the story for us? And, yeah, and, yeah, and the sure. Message we're trying to get across. Absolutely. So back in 2018, all those years ago now, uh, it my younger brother he did a live examination with Holly and Phil on national telly. Left very early one morning, woke me up whilst leaving at half past four. I had a shoot day to run, so I wasn't best pleased. <laughs> Anyhow, got home from shoot day, flicked the telly on to watch the recording. Mum and dad religiously, religiously, bearing in mind Chris and I were both living at home. Chris was between moving house and I was actually waiting for my house to be built. Um, so we were both at home. I get home, mum and dad religiously record everything Chris did on TV. So so I watched it and they said, you've got to watch it. It's absolutely amazing. Um, and it will it will help so many people. So I watched it and I thought, crikey, yeah, that has hit home fairish. And uh, shower, bedtime, bedtime came. Couldn't sleep because Chris wasn't home. Uh, about half past one, two o'clock in the morning, the door goes and I hear him creep up the stairs and I was still awake. So I said to him, well done, mate. That was That was really really you know good what you've done there you'll help so many people and something was telling me in the back of my mind just check yourself check yourself so I I copped a little feel that night and at sort of half to quarter to three I'm then venturing into Chris's room I'm like is this what we're looking for and I found a lump on my testicle and um, and cut a very long story short with mum shouting as well what the bloody hell's going down on down there because chris is telling me in no uncertain terms to get out of his room it's three o'clock in the morning and he wants to sleep (laughs) he's been up for nearly 24 hours so yeah um it all kicked off a little bit uh in the household and i got an examination i took a secondary opinion um because i wasn't wasn't too sure with with the first one um so i went and saw another specialist for a second opinion and on the 8th of January in 2019, I got diagnosed with testicular cancer. And on the 23rd of January, I had the removal. So it was all very quick because they were a little bit worried um, at the size of my lump. And as it happens, it was benign at the time. So I was extremely lucky there. However, it was the rarest form of testicular cancer. And if it had become active, they're not sure how long they would have given me whether that had really? been weeks, wow. months, or, or years. Yeah. And this, and so the story developed really from there, didn't it? Because it, it's, it's become, I mean, twofold. You, you've kind of had an absolute double whammy. You know, you get dealt with testicular cancer, then the story develops into male fertility, yeah. which is just this thing that you, no one really talks about until you start to have children. And exactly. having been through, the, been through the sort of this recently with my friends, you know, when when you're 18 years old, you think oh, if I kiss a girl, she might get pregnant, uh, and then you, you know wind it on a few years, and turns out it's not that simple, uh, and actually a lot harder. Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, we didn't actually know that we were going to go down that route with the documentary. Um, it's sort of a route that found us a little bit. So we started filming as soon as as soon as I found my lump. Um, friends of ours and, and and friends and people Chris had worked with caught hold of the story and so so I you know wanted to raise awareness as best as we could and we think we've done quite a good job um with it already and and we're continuing to try and try and do a little bit more so whilst we were going through that I kind of told my doctors that I feel tired all the time so then they start testing my testosterone levels 
and now I'm injecting twice a week with um, testosterone and I take a tablet a day um, to, to, to just boost my testosterone levels up because uh, when I tested um, for the sperm count, it wasn't showing anything in, in my count. Um, so they basically then tested me again, blood tested me. This was before the medication. And um, my levels of testosterone, I forget exactly um, how they measure it and what, what um, they measure it in. But my testosterone was down to 2.9, which is the equivalent of a 119-year-old man. And oh my gosh. so now I'm on the medication. They think it's going to start simulating the testy that I have left. And um, I'm now running along at something like 24 or 26 and um and that's as good as what a, a young keen 18 year old like <laughs> like a young ram lamb um, <laughs> um so yeah um i i'm i'm ticking along now so we're now hoping that um it, it's that the medication has stimulated my testy to send the right signals from from the testicle to the brain and back again to start producing the sperm that i need to to have a family but so you, you're a uh a, a sort of mid-30s fit young lad who Let suddenly me stop gets you there. told i've only just turned 30 <laughs> okay so <laughs> yeah, you're 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 a late 20s now 30 yeah. uh mid you know fit young lad who suddenly gets told he might not be able to have children because you've kind of got your 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 system working like a 119 year old man i mean that must have been like absolutely crushing i i knew something was up when it was becoming a, a task to get out of bed in the morning uh sort of walk downstairs have your morning cup of tea sit sit in the chair and actually feel like you were going to fall asleep so that's how i felt and um and now the testosterone and everything it, it gives me gives me a bit of go and um and i feel a lot better for it but yeah when when you're told those sort of things it, it's a, a little bit crushing but when um, you're actually told, and it's all in the documentary, um, that there is something that can help, then you just take every chance. So the point of this, so there's people listening to this now who might be thinking they're really struggling to get out of bed in the morning. They're not feeling quite right. What's your message to them? Do you know, I'd always say now to every teenager, and I've actually done a few talks in the local school um, where I used to go to school, I think this was going on in my body a long, long time prior to actually finding the lump um, during school, you know, getting getting it at, after football, getting in the showers with all the lads. And, and you know, they, they've all got their chest hair and everything. I was never, ne I'm, I'm a fair haired chap anyway, so I was never, ever the hairiest one in, in school. But, you know, I'm thinking, Christ, freaking hair on his chest, I've got absolutely nothing. And it was, and, and thinking back, and I'm quite open about it now. Thinking back, I was like, maybe back then I was struggling with testosterone and that's why I wasn't having the stimulants that I needed to grow grow my chest hair and, and, and you know, and all of that. And you, you sort of, even at that age, I was sort of pushing it to one side a little bit. Um, but actually come to think of it now, that may have been part of it. So I say to all the lads, um, when I go to the go to the school and speak to the sixth form, just go and get a blood test. Ask ask really? your doctor to have a blood test to check your testosterone levels, um, and if the testosterone levels are down, at least they could do something earlier than what what I had when I found out mm. that I, at the age of twenty 
um, 627 that my testosterone levels weren't right and my, the stimulants weren't given the right signals from my testicle to my brain. I, yeah. the, the point you made there, you, you mentioned sort of pushing it to one side. And I think that's such a bloke thing to do. You know, we, you know, there's that sort of famous thing about man flu. We make a huge, great fuss when we've got a, a minor ailment. But actually, the tendency with blokes is if they suspect that there's something quite seriously wrong, they're much less yeah. likely to go to the doctor. They're much less likely to do anything or just ignore it and hope it goes away. Absolutely. And and it, again, it's all in there in the documentary is to go and get yourself checked. There's absolutely nothing to worry about. The doctors have all seen it before, if not a million times before. And I, I for one, was not worried one bit. You know, I was, I was a little bit scared of the cold jelly that goes down there because I was, I was worried that my manhood <laughs> was gonna, gonna go to nothing, and, um, and, and, and getting that in for, out in front of the doctors would have been a bit of something. But no, it, there is absolutely nothing to worry about, and you. The, the the best um i can say is is just go and get yourself checked if there's anything literally anything and again i'm i'm quite active on um social media on my personal account on instagram i get asked everyday questions and the amount of people that have come to chris and i and said how much we've helped and that they found a lump and it's um it's cancerous and a couple of them have been stage three stage four and they wouldn't wow. have known uh so you know, just helping people as much as we can is, is our aim and to try and save as many lives as possible. And if if any of you listeners out there have got a question and you want to ask it in confidence, then please just get in touch because I will be it will be my pleasure to help. Oh you're a good man. Well I'll make sure that we link to your uh Instagram in the description of the podcast as well. Um and actually I'm gonna give my uh, give a message to the listeners right now. If you're a bloke and you're listening to this right now, unbutton your trousers have a little fumble, a little rummage right now. Brief pause. Start fumbling now. George, just don't do it on Zoom, yeah? <laughs> yeah George, what are you doing? <laughs> you can see my hands. <laughs> I can't see Chris's. <laughs> Ben, well, look, I mean, at the, at the end of that documentary, which for anyone who didn't hear it, it's, it's called Me, My Brother and Our Bulls uh, on BBC Three. Stick it in BBC iPlayer. To be fair, BBC Three has now just come live to telly. Just quickly, bit of a shout out, I know. Oh, go but on. It's just come live to telly. And if I if I quickly nip onto my WhatsApp messages, um, we have got a showing of it um, back on national telly on... Sunday the 20th of February at 9pm so that's BBC 3 Sunday the 20th of February at 9pm Hey there, it's Editing George here Uh, now you may have noticed that this episode was released after the 20th of February Uh, but have no fear I've been and I've checked on the iPlayer and Ben's documentary is available uh, to stream uh, via the iPlayer for the next year so do make sure you go and check it out I'll put a link in the description it's well worth a watch right, back to the podcast yeah, really good. I mean, at the end of the documentary, uh, you'll see it if you if you watch it. It said, in the UK, male fertility now accounts for 50% of infertility. 
as many as two to three million men in the UK could have a fertility problem, which typically only becomes apparent when men want to start a family. And I, that, that stat shocked me. And I think that what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. It's so good of you to be able to talk about it publicly. And as you said, if you can make a difference to some of these other people, then hats off to you, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the main thing about it. I, you know, suffering with it through myself, through, through the, your own personal experiences and trying to help people if you can. And that's why I tell these young lads, go and get a blood test. And mm. not nine times out of 10, you'll be able to see the testosterone levels from a blood test and you'll be able to see if anything's not quite right. And, and at least they have at the ripe old age of 16, 17, they have enough time to be able to, to sort of get, get it checked. And, um, and maybe possibly do something about it to help their fertility for later on in life. So back back to rosier times, Ben. Go uh, on. The the way that uh, that we love to round off this podcast is is with the 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 the, the part called Desert Island Shooting. Uh, so you can now dream away. Uh, you've got one last shoot day. Uh, money, absolutely no object. Do what on earth you like. Where are you going to go? Who are, you, who are you going to have with you? What's it going to be? I would be going over to New Zealand to shoot the pheasants off the top of the mountains over there because that looks absolutely epic scenery. And <laughs> I would be taking two Chinooks full of <laughs> full of my friends who who um, are my close buddies who we do, do. We're lucky enough to do a huge amount of shooting with each other every year. So. John, Jason, Sam, Charlie, Jonna, all of the boys. Don't miss one. <laughs> I don't think I have. I might have. I don't think I did. Um, but yeah, I'd be taking the boys over there in Chinooks and it'll be a, a, a bit like the scene out of James Bond when we turn up and we're, we're in the Scottish Highlands and uh, and the music's blaring out and, and, and yeah, we're going to go and shoot, go and shoot some pheasants in in New Zealand, I think I've seen the, the there's an Instagram account, isn't there, for, for one of the shoots and out there, and it just looks unreal. Uh, Twenty six to one. That that's the ratio. Lighthouse Station, which is driven shooting in uh, in New Zealand, uh, some teams shoot that at twenty six to one. That just sounds demoralising. <laughs> for you, it does. For me, it sounds a challenge. Oh really? I'd be there. I'd be there in my side by side shooting the low ones out the edge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sounds to me like they haven't got low ones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. So, um, no, it's it sounds epic fun, and yeah, it's definitely on my bucket list to do anyway. Uh, Even if I if I take the boys, um, that will be a bonus. Nice. Yeah. amazing it's all about being with your mates isn't it and, uh, and once again someone has brought that into their desert island shooting in a big way so well done great well thanks ever so much for joining us ben it's been really interesting it's been really fun good thank you guys for having me yeah. and i look forward no. to my my garters coming <laughs> yeah, they'll be in the post. epic pair of sunglasses from you last time so i think yeah. there is a uh, a picture of me and Childley actually circulating around uh, instagram with them on so uh, so your listeners oh, might lad. be able to find them <laughs> <laughs> great right so before we go as per usual there is one final reminder that you can get hands on a pair of the very exclusive guns on pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your shooting dilemmas for us to resolve or by getting in touch to let us know where you've been listening or by sending us your unpopular opinions or by nominating a shooting hero. Just send us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com and if we read it out in the next episode or any future episode, 
we will send you some garters. We will be back in a couple of weeks' time with another episode. But until then, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.